This show was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, Hawke's Bay's community access radio station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for enabling us to put Hawke's Bay voices on air. Good morning, Andrew Austin here, and welcome to my show, Austin On Air, right here on Radio Kidnappers, the voice of Hawke's Bay. It's good to be back with you, and my guest on the show today is Hastings District Councillor Simon Nixon. Kia ora, Simon, and welcome to the show. Good morning, Andrew, and nice to be here. Long time since we've last spoken. Yes, I'm sure we'll have uh, a good chat today. Good to see you. Uh, You're just telling us off air about all the cycling you're doing. You're looking looking good, so that's uh, obviously paying off there. Yeah, I am a keen cyclist. Uh, I think it's an easy way of sort of keeping fit. I couldn't run anymore. I'd wreck all my joints. But I am cycling anything up to 100 k's a week. Oh, good. Good thing the local council put all those pathways in for us to cycle and walk on and that. Well, they didn't put them in for me, but I've made good use of them. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. So, Simon, uh, speaking of your role as a councillor, um, by my calculation, it's more than 10 years, probably about 11 years that you've been a councillor. Yes, that would be right. Yeah. And are you still enjoying the job and motivated to do it? Probably en- enjoying it more, actually, because I have more impact on the council than I had at the beginning. I mean, there's been a change in the management at the top. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, Sandra particularly is willing to give me more leeway uh, than, than perhaps Lawrence was. And that's a good thing. So I've really carved a niche out for myself that I think allows me to have more effect than I had before. Okay, because I was going to ask you about that because um, you you often were sort of on the other side of um, uh, um, Lawrence uh, Yule, who was mayor at the time, and in fact you challenged him, I think once or twice for the role, uh, probably three times, yeah, three times, <laughs> three times. There we go. And uh, you also um, ran for the position when he left the role, but uh, Sandra got it. Um, so um, comparing the two. Um, Mayors, um, what, what's, uh, apart from what you've just mentioned, what else is different? Uh, I think it's more open now. Uh, everybody has a, 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 a better um, opportunity to have an input. I think the council's in a much better state. I mean, it, it was at times quite caustic before. Yeah, there were some councillors uh, who are no longer with us that were quite difficult to get on with. And they formed a little group that I used to call the Type 5. You might remember I wrote an article about that and upset a lot of people. Uh, that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, I mean, we don't all agree on everything by any means. There's plenty of uh, uh, difference. But I think it is much more open. And if you, if you have a different opinion, everybody accepts that and there's, there's no consequences. Because in the beginning, when uh, when Sandra was running for for mayor and against Stamon Harvey, there was a bit of uh, uh, sort of divisiveness, and 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 then that carried over into the first few um, months with that uh, uh, investigation into. Uh, the leak about the water museum, if you want to call it, for a better word. Um, so things, that, that sort of was all, all water under the bridge, so to speak? Yes, I think that was almost a continuation of Lawrence's uh, form of, of management. Uh, and once we got that out of the way, then it no longer carried around, no longer hung over us. And I just think the relationships around the table, I mean, we all have a good laugh. And the funny thing is I had never been in Lawrence's office the whole time he was mayor. 
once or twice maybe as a media person, but never as a counsellor. Wow. Whereas with Sandra, I could be up there, you know, every couple of weeks talking yeah. with her about something that either I want or she wants from me. Yeah. Now, that so-called Water Museum, it's actually going ahead in some form. Just tell us about that. What, what is that form and how much are ratepayers paying for that? For the, oh, the Water Museum. Yeah. Well, actually, it's worked out quite well. I wasn't a huge supporter of it, I have to say, but uh, the government came in with a whole lot of money yeah. uh, under the Provincial Growth Fund, yeah. and that really uh, changed the whole issue. It is going ahead. Uh, I think it'll be a great facility, but I would have been very reluctant to spend $10 million or whatever the cost is of ratepayers money. I am super sensitive yeah. to the way rates are going, not just here in Hastings, but everywhere in the country. I mean, huge increases. Yeah. Last, last time during the review, uh, Councillor Watkins and I fought like hell to chop about, I think, about a million bucks off the budget because we were determined to try and do something to get rates down. Yeah. Or yeah. at least reduce the increase. So what are the rates increases for this uh, next year? I'm not sure what... Well, we haven't done the budget yet, yeah. so we're not quite sure, but it wouldn't surprise me if they're, you know, 5 6% quite easily. I mean, costs are going through the roof. Yeah. That has to be taken into account. But councils, as I've learnt the hard way are full of people with enthusiasm for doing things. And inevitably that involves spending money. This is both staff and councillors. They all have their pet projects, the Opera House, and it just goes on and on, the Water Museum, as it's called. I can't think of the correct name for the moment. Mm. Um, and and so it, it just gobbles up huge amounts of money. But, you know, Hastings and Hawke's Bay generally, it's not a rich area. People don't have huge money. A lot of retirees... And, and really, the, I don't know how some of them find the money to pay the rates. Mm. I mean, I think it's expensive and I've got an income. Yeah. yeah. And um, so you were talking about how you all um, have things to do on the council and there. What is your portfolio role and, um, and what are some of the achievements that you've... Well, I think um, we, we're all on quite a, a number of committees, of course. One that I particularly enjoy is the Risk and Assurance Committee. Yeah. This is where you look at all the things that might go wrong. And would you believe I was warning about a pandemic before there was a pandemic? I just wanted it on our list because I felt that it comes around in a regular cycle. Yeah. And, and so I got it up there. And then when the pandemic struck and, and yeah, everybody said it was doom and gloom, and I said, hang on a minute, I don't think it is. Evidence of the past, you know, after World War II and so on, shows there's an awful lot of spending builds up. And when that gets released, it actually causes the economy to boom again. It's yeah. exactly what happened. So there's two occasions where I've sort of had an impact. My latest uh, one is I'm really concerned about the way things are going with China, to be honest, because... the. Uh, for New Zealand, and particularly Hawke's Bay, China is such a, an important trading partner. Mm. And there's so many things that could go wrong, Evergrande, you know, Taiwan, you name it. There's just a million things that I feel could go wrong. And I'm really trying to say, let us at least think about it. We can't particularly have a solution, but I think we can determine the, the risks and say what could happen, how might we deal with it. Yeah, because you're pretty limited as, as a council. Oh, on the, even the government's limited. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, now, uh, recently the council voted in favour of uh, Māori wards. And what is your view on that and what did you vote? 
I, in the end, I abstained. Uh, I didn't support it uh, because I felt that we had some very good Maori councillors and I could see that that might be the end of them. So it really... Why uh, would that have been so? Well, they would then have to hang on to their seats uh, that they have already, and I think the attitude in the community might well be, you've got a Maori ward, why are you standing in, now standing in the general ward? I felt that was a real risk. Okay. Um, I haven't really heard that one before. So you're saying that the, the, the only reason that those Maori councillors are on is because they're Maori rather than because they're... Not at the moment. No, no at the okay. moment they're voted on like all of us. Yeah. They, they go out and do their campaigning and all the rest of it. I mean, at one stage I said to, to the people proposing the Maori ward, why don't you just stand in, you know, in the general seats, put your money up, bang on doors, uh, talk to people, advertise in the paper, as the rest of us do, and, and get on without having to have a specific allocation. But that's what um, Baden-Barber and yes. Henare O'Keefe and that have, have done. And I'm supportive of those people, and they're great counsellors. Yeah. You know, they do a good job, and I just preferred that... I'm just a little worried that it might be a group uh, almost acting as a, as a little cartel that might eventuate from this. But we've made the decision. My view didn't prevail, uh, and we just lived Well, you didn't it. have a view because you abstained. Uh, I expressed a view at the time. <laughs> and I had previous, as you recall, when we were talking about uh, representation on our standing committees, I yeah. actually voted against it. Yeah, and now uh, there was also a proposal which was accepted to make other changes to the council, um, and this is linked to the whole Māori ward thing, um, and that's increasing the number of councillors um, from 14 to 15 with the mayor as well. Um, how did you vote on that? We looked at three options. Uh, for a start, had I vote, I voted in favour of the 15, uh, even though I wasn't strictly in favour of it, but we had given a, uh, an undertaking or a strong impression to Maori representatives that there would be three ward seats. And if you're going to have three Maori seats, you had to have at least uh, 15 um, uh, seats in total. So if we'd gone to 12, there would have only been two Maori ward seats and 14 just didn't work out. The numbers, we, we couldn't make the numbers fit to get the representation by community, by Maori ward and by the general ward. The numbers basically didn't add up. Well, one of your councillors, Wendy Shollum, wrote an opinion piece where she said that this made us more, more councillors in Wellington, if I'm quoting her correctly. But that was incorrect. Uh, in fact, there are, I, from memory, I think 48 or 49 councillors in Wellington yeah. because you can't, the figures she quoted were all of the Wellington region, which is reasonable. So you had Porra, Upper Hutt, Lower Hutt and Wellington. And if you add those numbers up, uh, we were not overrepresented. I would have been happier to just stick with the, the status quo of 14. I thought it was the right number. It seemed to work well. Because some were saying maybe even go down to 12. Yes, that was an option. Uh, but once again, we then... I felt there was a risk we could get challenged by those who'd been supporting the Maori ward because they would have only got two seats. And I, we'd been... I think the implication had been they would get three. If they got three, there had to be... 15 total. Yeah. Now, um, you... Perhaps I could just add. Yeah. And, and, and the financial aspects that it might save money is simply not correct because government gives a fixed amount for all the councillors and it gets split by the number of councillors. 
So okay. if there's another councillor, it doesn't add another one fifteenth. It doesn't add anything. Okay, so you get paid less then? Is we, that we get paid less. Okay. Yeah. Do you think you should be paid more full-time? Do you think um, you sh- a councillor should get a, a sort of living wage, if you like? Because um, some might argue that you end up working 40 hours even more than, uh, and this is supposed to be a sort of part-time role. Well, yes and no. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure that getting into politics is something you should be doing to make money out of. Mm. I think you should get a reasonable remuneration but there still has to be pressure to do something for the community and I think that's why most of us are there yeah uh, yeah I, I do a little bit as you know I do a little bit of media work uh, on the side just but I can't always do it because I'm not always available a number of councillors have businesses and other activities I mean we've got uh, what three or four farmers uh, on the on council so they're farmers or farmers spouses so they're they're doing extra work on the side. So most, most people are tending to do something else to try and build up that income. Yeah. Now, Simon, you were a councillor during the Havelock North water crisis, and in fact, I think you got fairly ill um, as well. Firstly, have you recovered? I mean, I ask you that seriously, because some people I know still have lingering effects. My from... wife reckons I haven't recovered, but oh, yeah. I still have lingering effects, as you described them. Yeah. I was certainly very sick at the time. Uh, I think what irked me most is I had asked some questions about the water, but clearly not the right questions, because we kept getting chlorine in the water in Havelock, and I kept asking why we're getting this. Uh, Looking back, I think the reasons were there were were risks associated with the Brookvale boards, but I didn't actually work that out. And I'm slightly annoyed that I didn't figure out what might be the problem and therefore ask the right questions somewhat earlier than I did. Are you happy now that the system is robust enough uh, to prevent that sort of thing happening again? Actually, I am. I mean, we have spent a monumental amount of money on water. And we're almost, despite the fact that so many, five and a half people, thousand people got sick, several died. In some ways, I think we were lucky compared to other areas because it forced us to make the changes at a time when they're affordable. It probably would be costing us maybe twice as much to make these improvements now if we hadn't started back then five years ago. Yeah. Now, speaking of water, the rather controversial Three Waters legislation um, will see um, government or council control of of the Three Waters, what's a drinking waste and... Uh, um, uh, storm. Storm, yeah, that's right. Uh, taken away and given to central agencies. Um, a lot of mayors and councils have come out against this, uh, saying it's going to sort of decimate what councils do. What's your view? Certainly it could decimate what councils do. Uh, I mean, for a lot of councils, I'd say water is a third to 40% of their activity. And so you've got to say, are they going to shrink councillors? Yeah, what is going to happen? Maybe this review that we've just had on, uh, on the wards and so on should be revisited after three waters to readjust councils for a new level of activity. Personally, I, it's not that I'm so much against it since I was one of those that was badly affected, but I'm not convinced we're getting the whole story. I mean, it seems an impossibility that they're going to hire maybe... 10,000 more people at maybe a hundred you know thousand dollars each you look at that yeah that's what a a billion dollars a year or more uh, extra cost yet they say it'll cost no more Um, I just look at the whole thing and think 
I don't think this is actually real. Councils have got a lot of expense or costs still inside them that this three waters proposal is not going to take out. You know, we have an, a chief executive who's paid based on the number of staff we've got and the size of the activity, uh, and I'm not picking on him particularly, but just trying to give it as an example. Um, and and so suddenly the, we're not going to have three waters. We won't have that revenue stream, but we're still going to have the accounting costs, the HR costs, all those other costs are left with the council while this new organisation builds up those same costs. So effectively it's duplicated. Yet the, the promise is nobody's going to lose their job. You know, the, the fact is nobody loses their job. Nobody gets a wage cut. Everybody can stay where they are. This is meaning no savings, but a whole lot of extra costs. And and we know what's going to happen. Uh, rates are going to increase to, cov- to cover that. Yes. And people are going to be paying for their water separately anyway. I don't actually believe the promise that uh, water will be much cheaper uh, if the, the three waters proposal goes ahead. And one of the things that really stands out, probably two things, but one in particular is at the moment, Nobody's sure what the standards are that has that this new organisation is going to have to meet. But if we knew the standards, we could then be evaluating how well we're doing ourselves uh, and, and maybe coming up with better solutions. The reality is our water complies with all the regulations at the moment. Now, I mean, it didn't back then, but it does now. Our wastewater treatment uh, has a resource that consent, I think, goes another 20 years or more. Um, yeah, stormwater's not being dealt with as well, but since nobody's saying what we have to do, you know, what standard we have to meet, it's hard to know what we have to do other than what we're doing and doing it better. Because yeah. um, I, I read somewhere, I think it was Hawke's Bay app, where um, Craig Little, the Wairau, um mayor, was saying, what's to stop roading being next or something like that with central agencies being being put up. Do you think that is a concern? Yes, I think it is because government's showing a clear inclination, this government's showing a clear inclination to to uh, centralise everything. I mean, they've done it with the health board, they've done it with education, uh, mm. tertiary education, and uh, now they're doing it with three waters and you start to wonder, will the whole country just be run by a few bureaucrats in Wellington uh, sort of running these mega organisations? Yeah, I, one of the things I do all the time, I ride a bike a lot, as I mentioned before. When I ride around, you see little water leaks or you know, big holes in the road or all that sort of thing, and I normally ring up the council and say, look, can you have a look at that, get it fixed? That goes. You ring some organisation in Wellington, they don't even know where you know, such and such a street is in, yeah. in Hawke's Bay. They might not even know where Hawke's Bay is. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I don't see the, the, the standard improving. Yeah. Now, um, COVID-19 has been here since last year, and um, what is your view on how the government has handled it? Initially, I thought they handled it pretty well. I would have given them 8 out of 10. Yeah. My only criticism, criticism at the beginning was I thought the lockdown should have come a week or two earlier, and I had a few arguments with good friends over the need for it, but then it was done. This year's lockdown or last year's lockdown? Last year's. Yeah. You know, the, the ship should never come into Napier bringing it with it and, and those various other instances in, in the South Island. Yeah. Um, it's got less... I think they're showing less um, professionalism or good judgment as it goes on. And frankly, if you're in Auckland, I mean, I don't know what's happened to government support up there. But I imagine it's not doing so well because... Uh, businesses are really suffering. Yeah. Well, um, 
Well, I was going to ask you about that. You get out and about speaking to business owners, yeah, and while it's not as bad as Auckland, do you, is there still some impact on people, on businesses? Well, yes, there will be. I'm not particularly aware of it, but yeah, I just mentioned Splash Planet because we opened last year. We're not opening this year. I'm going to talk to you about well, that in a moment. Well, we made a huge amount of money because you couldn't go overseas. You couldn't go to you know, Surface Paradise and everything. So people poured into Hawke's Bay for, for lack of anywhere else to go. And we did very well at Splash Planet. And I suspect all of Hawke's Bay did reasonably well because of that. It was a place to go that was a good substitute for the things they might have originally planned to do. Yeah. So what is your view on vaccine mandates? Uh, and I'll ask you if you're vaccinated and you can answer yeah, that. Yeah, no, no, to. I'm more than happy, proud to say I am fully vaccinated. I've had all the jabs and if there's any more coming, I'll have those <laughs> as well. I mask up because this is a real threat. When you look at the actual evidence, the fact is the people that are getting sick uh, and I just watched a thing about Germany this morning. Yeah, something like eighty or ninety percent of the ones in hospital receiving all the you know, extra treatment are actually unvaxxed. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I had polio vaccination. I had a cousin that had polio. I certainly didn't get it, and all those other things. Uh, I can't what they you know, mumps and all mm. those things. So I feel that I've been vaccinated against damn near everything that, you know, including the black plague. If uh, if I was vaccinated against that and. So I, I really am supportive uh, of some sort of compulsion, but I think the government's approach of saying you can't work in these places if you're not vaccinated for the moment is, is probably far enough because yeah. the message is out there clearly. And I think I'm starting to wonder now whether I should sit with friends and have coffee that I know are not vaccinated because you think, you know, I get bronchitis, so yeah. I'm one of these at-risk people. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I'm acutely aware uh, yeah, that, that they are putting me at risk. Yeah. And I think that's um, what a lot of people are thinking that, you know, obviously how do you handle this with people having very strong views on either side. Um, now, tourism and air travel... Um, air travel being one of your, your passions, especially into Hawke's Bay, has been affected by COVID. Is there recovery going on? Are people flying more? Uh, I, I think there's some recovery. Um, when Jetstar came, which I think um, verified that we were on the right track when I said we need better air services, yeah. Jetstar came, the numbers went up more than 50%. The airfares came down and we were really humming for those four years. Funny enough, it finished, what, about two months before uh, COVID arrived. Mm. Um, the numbers then dropped down to well under half a million uh, passengers with the first lockdown, and they're still hovering around that area now. Okay, and... Um, no flights no flights really to Auckland for yeah. quite some time, so that must be affecting um, yeah. the airline. Because they just had a big expansion out at the airport. Was that a sort of bit of bad luck that they, that they undertook that big development and um, at the wrong time, really? I wasn't hugely enthusiastic about the, an expansion of that size. Uh, although the airport was talking about getting a million passengers... Uh, a year in a couple of years' time, which they won't do. But I wasn't convinced then that they were going to do it either. So, yeah, I'm. I mean, I 
I feel we missed an opportunity when I was pushing hard. You know, that's nearly 20 years ago now. Yeah, because, I, I mean, at, at some one point, people said that was your thing kind of thing. And that it was. was all, all you cared about, really, was uh, getting more, uh, getting cheaper flights and more flights in for Hawke's Bay. Yeah. Well, when I saw what it did in those four years, I, I do feel that we lost an opportunity previously. We're in a different situation now, and I think we'd, we'll just have to wait and see. I'm certainly not pushing for any expansion of the airport right now, because I think we've got the climate issue coming up and I think the biggest threat is not so much the climate itself but public and government pressure. I think that's the next thing we're going to have to deal with in Hawke's Bay. What do you mean by that? Uh, I think um, I think the movement to sort of ask or insist that governments take action to reduce carbon is going to intensify and I think governments themselves are going to lock themselves into situations where uh, they become more onerous in the, in the things they demand. Uh, you know, maybe it, it'll be less transport. Transport's one of the biggest um, uh, contributors to, to uh, greenhouse gases. The biggest one in Hawke's Bay, of course, is farming. Mm. And I really... I'm, I'm quite suspicious about these figures as to how correct they are because I work on the theory the cows eat grass which is grown from CO2 extracted from the atmosphere they churn it out back as CO2 and methane the methane breaks down to CO2 I feel it has to be a, a cycle and, uh, and I don't think this has been adequately explained How important is um, sort of uh, reducing the effects of climate change on the council that you are part of at the moment? Do you discuss it much? Yes we do a reasonable amount. I, in fact I think uh, it doesn't get enough in-depth discussion and I'm just at the point of starting to write something to council, councillors uh, expressing some of my views on what it might mean. I mean, we've got to say, what if we have to reduce our farming stock by 30 or 40 per cent or whatever to, to meet some requirement there? That will have a profound effect on Hawke's Bay and we don't seem to talk about these things. What if we say no flights? Yeah. Uh, what if we say you know, no cars? Because you actually can't. Yeah, you know, the bus service here is hopeless. You can't get round without a car or a bicycle, in my case. And also in the, um, I mean, I was out at Clifton uh, over the weekend, Clifton Cafe, and that. And uh, I mean, it's it's uh, just uh, you know the sea's right there, so it, it is quite a vulnerable spot. I, I think uh, mitigation is one of the things we are concentrating on and will need to concentrate on. Sea level rise, change in climate, a whole agricultural may have to change if the temperatures go up as that some people are forecasting. Yeah. Now, um, we sort of almost done. It's been quite a good uh, 25 minutes or so. Um, just on, um, I was going to ask you about Splash Planet, um, but you sort of did answer that, that uh, um, you weren't able, took a decision not to open it. But just looking ahead, Simon, so um, there's an election coming up next year. You're going to go for it again? I haven't really decided whether I will or not. At this stage, I'm thinking I might, yes. And then uh, 10 more after that? No. So if I stand again, it will be the last time. 
And one last shot at the mayor um, no, position? No, definitely not. <laughs> uh, probably stood once, at least too often. Okay. All right. So, um, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, Simon. I appreciate you coming in and uh, good to hear from you and some interesting uh, positions you've got there and the thoughts. So, thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Andrew. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, good. And to the listener, we'll see you next time. Thank you. This show was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, Hawke's Bay's community access radio station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for enabling us to put Hawke's Bay voices on air.